This podcast contains themes of family violence, which may be triggering. If you're listening in Tasmania where this podcast is made and you need support now, you can contact the free Family Violence Counselling and Support Service on 1800 608 122. Or you can call the 24-hour National Support Service on 1800 RESPECT. If you're in an emergency, please contact triple zero. This podcast also contains legal information. It is not intended to be legal advice. You will find a list of legal services that you can contact for individual advice in the show notes. It was the, the process that was hard to get your head around. It's like you kept going, so when are we actually going to make a decision? You know, it's to go, is this just for directions or is what, what's this one about? So I think that was where I needed to learn how the big, it's a big machine. <laughs> Would you know how to make that machine work for you? Yeah. That's someone I know as Natalie, talking about one of the big things she learned about the legal system and the way it seems to be set up. Hi, I'm Penny Terry, and you're listening to Rule of Thumb. It's a podcast that gives you a type of legal education that, well, you'll probably never read about. By hearing women, their lawyers and their counsellors describe the way things play out as they go through the legal process, it helps us to, well, know what to expect. One thing we can expect is that the legal process is often baffling. Something that often people don't understand is that the process in the courts can often take quite a while and the court will try and encourage the parties at every given step of the way to try and resolve the problem or the issue between themselves. Now this is Una, one of the lawyers we met in episode one. So what does that mean in real life? Let's check back in with Natalie. The big thing I learned, and I used to tell myself every time I went to, you know, another another date, is just not to have any expectations that anything could happen. Sometimes, you know, things go along and nothing happens for a really long time and you seem to just have, you know, it's for mention or, you know, a direction from here. And then sometimes, unexpectedly, very suddenly, you have a whole lot of things happen and you're put in a room and you're expected to try and work out, you know, make agreements on orders or, you know, and you didn't predict that, you know. How did you cope with that? Sometimes pretty well. I think with my situation, I realised there was a certain amount that wasn't out of my control. When I was sent to go and try and negotiate orders with someone who would just sit there and cross his arms and not engage I would just go through the process and think okay and I just I wanted to say to the magistrate at at what point are you going to recognize that we need help making these decisions there were comments made you're two adults why don't you work it out it's like we're here for a reason we need someone else to do it because it's just not possible so I would just go through the motions but as I say I just said I would say to myself, don't have any expectations of an outcome today. Just don't, you know, even though I wanted it to end and I wanted, you know, some an outcome, I just used to tell no expectations. You know, you could work out and the, the next date could be six months away and you just think, oh. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not hard to see why Natalie describes it as a machine that she was trying to work out how to use. You might remember someone I called Jane, who you also met last episode. I just needed to know that my house that I had worked my entire life for was secure. And for almost approximately three years, I had that hanging over my head whilst we went through the court process. And it is the most horrid experience of your life. You've just got this weight on your shoulders that just won't go. Until, and in the end, I just didn't care what the judge said. I just needed the judge to tell me what it was I had to do to get rid of this man out of my life. And that's what it was about for me to completely cut all cords. In listening to Jane's story, I couldn't help but wonder how I'd go after that long in the legal system. Remember Jack Dalby from episode one? He's a trauma counsellor and he says that even having these types of legal conversations can be really tough, particularly for some women who've experienced family violence. Depending on where the women are at in terms of their own healing and their own processing of their trauma and also how much pressure and anxiety they're under right now, so you can't start to heal or process while you're still not safe, it can be hard for women to take in the information they're giving. It can be hard for them to even stand up for themselves or you know, claim their own rights. And it may not be obvious to the practitioner that this is what's going on. So not, not everyone will go into meetings and, 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 and weep. Some people will be really quiet and withdrawn and may appear to be listening. But if their trauma is really strong, if, if, if they're experiencing um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder... Um, if, if they're in that place in their heads, it's actually really hard to hear and take in the information. So they can very, very often come out without really understanding what's been said. So they're more and more at the mercy of the professional that they're working with. I also know from sometimes sitting in the room with lawyers that with the best will in the world, lawyers use technical language and they don't think to explain all of it. And it it, it's just really hard to follow, um, or it can be hard to follow. So these are these are the traps. What it, what it can mean is there are more sessions that a woman has to have with her lawyer than she, in you know, really should need to. Often that'll mean um, that she's paying a lot more money. Generally, she won't have the money to pay. So it, it just makes everything so much harder for her. Yeah, it's easy to see how complex understanding the legal process can get and it can be uncomfortable hearing this stuff from Jack. And let's be clear, this podcast gives the view from women and the people who support women. It doesn't delve into the experience of men who are going through the legal process. The Women's Legal Service Tasmania, who we're working with to make this podcast, they specialise in providing legal support for women and a big part of the work they do is supporting women who are experiencing family violence. Let's get a bit more detail now about some of the different parts of the legal process that can end up being barriers. Let's meet someone I call Michelle. One of the frustrations Michelle told me about is feeling that she had no way to progress through the legal system. Oh, I do feel the system had failed me. I do feel like if I had had a 
bit more to back me up, if I had a bit more push in the start, like if I, you know, even if I got that recovery order into court, look, I might not have just got my son back. I might, but it would have been then the process. For me, I felt like it took me three years to get it in the process, not read by my lawyer or their lawyer. It's just, yeah. I mean, the other thing that was frustrating legally was there is certain things that you need to do before you can apply for court. And one of them is, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is uh, mediation. You have to attempt mediation. You had to have attempted mediation within 12 months. Um, And this is something that even though, you know, we were going through a legal process, I still tried and proposed going through the regular channels to have mediation and maybe settle um, outside of court. And I, (laughs) we actually came to a compromise. We drew up court orders and he sat on them for 10 months. He received them within eight weeks. He sat on them for 10 months and then refused to settle. Okay, there's no other way to go. Application for court. You haven't attempted mediation. I did attempt mediation, but it was over 12 months ago now. Delay, 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 delay. And nearly everyone I spoke to for this podcast talked about that period of time that women are away from their children while they wait for the cogs of the legal system to turn. This is what that time felt like for Natalie during a period when she didn't know where her daughter was. That was before we had any formal family law court orders in place. So I went to police to say, look, we don't know where she is. Um, Can you help? And because there were no family law court orders in place, I wasn't actually able to do anything about that. I had to go back to the family court and say, we need to hurry on this. So all police were able to do was just they, I mean, they did search, obviously, um, but when they made contact the next day, because they'd spoken to her and, you know, basically she'd said, yes, I'm okay, that's all they could do. So um, so then for me it was going, you know, that huge learning curve, well, what do I do? I had to go and get a recovery order and, well, seek a recovery order. There was no magistrate for a week in in Tasmania at that time. And so, you know, it was just uh, a huge learning curve for me and sort of understanding who can do what and who do you go to for what kind of help. Yeah. So it's it's been a long journey. (laughs) What do you remember about that week waiting for a recovery order? Oh, it ended up being a, a... a lot longer than a week. We had a pre-existing uh, family law court date. It was for for some other mention or something. So, because there was no magistrate in Hobart at the time, I was told to wait for that date. And when that date came, um, I went to court. Um, his lawyer was there, but his lawyer had not had any contact with him either. They'd actually had to call in a a magistrate from interstate to get through the backlog. And the magistrate was getting quite animated about why no one knew where this child was. I started to to break down because you're sitting there and you're thinking, this is is 
my family. This is not something I'm seeing on television. This is very real for me. And my lawyer turned and said to me, best to keep the emotion out of it. It doesn't help. How often have you thought about that moment in court? Um, Quite a bit, actually. It's one that I think has stuck in my mind as a that's something that I think we could really address if we if we wanted to look to you know improving family law court experience and and out ultimately outcomes is that we've got such an adversarial system and it, and it and I think that my my biggest learning ha- has been I went in hoping to get the best out of a bad situation and try and come up with some something that understandably may not be exactly what I wanted, but in the best interests of the children. Um, Yet the family court is such an adversarial system and you're kind of forced into being um, hostile, making claims about, you know, and, um, and I think in some ways that does more damage than, you know, than anything else. How are you going after hearing Natalie's reflections on the legal process? Jack Dalby thinks these are the types of gender issues that can find their way into court. I know that lawyers encourage women not to um, show their distress or their anger about their partners because that then can be used to, by the other side to argue, oh, they're trying to alienate the child against... Um, the father. On the other hand, men can be angry and even aggressive and we tend to forgive that kind of stuff. So double standards and double binds, I think. Now, I don't think we're going to be able to untangle that big complex idea right now on this podcast. What we can do, though, is hear what community sector lawyers think about these sorts of issues and how they see them play out in the legal process. Let's hear from Hannah, who is a lawyer at the Women's Legal Service, Tasmania. I mean, I guess the legal system in Australia is adversarial in nature. Um, So I guess within the different sorts of legal jurisdictions in Australia, the family law jurisdiction is supposed to be one that is less adversarial. Um, And so typically, lawyers do look at those alternate methods of dispute resolution, if possible. You mean mediation, conciliation? Yes, so mediation, negotiation, looking and seeing if it's possible to reach a compromise. Um, You know, court really should be the last resort in family law matters. Have you seen cases where people who have become emotional uh, during the legal process, have that used against them? Not No, not used against them as such. Like, although it is the adversarial system, I think there is the understanding among court staff, judicial officers, practitioners in that area, that you can't entirely take emotion out of it. It's not possible. You know, family law can be a particularly emotionally fraught area. I've heard lawyers in other jurisdictions say that they wouldn't be able to do family law. Um, I've heard criminal lawyers say, you know, I've had clients that I've told, you know, you're going to jail for 10 years, but if you told them you're not going to see your child again, you know, they're not going to date that as well as you're going to jail for 10 years. So, you know, it is an area where a lot of that emotion, I guess, can be turned to 
painting the other party in as bad a light as they can to make themselves look better in comparison. So I think that's something quite common in parenting matters in particular. But, you know, I have also seen situations where that's frowned upon by the court. The judge can quite clearly see. I mean, I've heard the judge comment, okay, you've said all of these negative things about the other party or the other parent. What are the good things? Are there any good things? So is that your job, though, in a way, to make the other person look bad so that your client looks good? Look, it's not. Our job is to put the evidence forward um, for the court to be able to make that decision about what is in the child's best interests. So that's ultimately what we're there for. We're not there for slinging mud, Um, even though that might be at times what clients want. Um, It may be that, you know, there are these negative things, but there are also some positive things that the other side has done um, in terms of parenting. And so you can include those as well, whilst ensuring that the court is aware um, of what risk factors there may be in a particular matter. I do just want to stick on that idea of mudslinging because before I started this podcast, I guess I imagined the court process being a place where you're trying to win. And so I checked in with Una, another lawyer, to see how common it is that people come into the process thinking it sort of is a competition. Yeah, well, I guess when it comes to court, there is an element of competition, I mean, just um, in that whole process. And um, that's obviously can be a really difficult aspect of it because um, at the end of the day with family law, you know, you would hope there's not winners and losers. You're always trying to sort of come out with an arrangement where where everyone's the winner. I mean, ultimately, the children should be the winners in parenting matters. Um, And in property matters, I would have to say that generally everybody's a loser um, because you're dividing property. You're dividing um, what were combined assets that you each had um, the benefit of into two parts. So there's no real winners in that situation, um, but the court's looking at what's just and equitable. And so I guess it depends how you classify winning. <laughs> if you can come out with a just and equitable division, I'd say that's as, as much of a winner as you can expect to be in, in a property settlement. And it's not uncommon in popular culture, I guess, for lawyers to be painted as sneaky. What do you want people to know about lawyers? Yeah, well, my son has a joke book about lawyers, which he likes to get out occasionally and tell me a few jokes from. Um, And sadly, most of those jokes are about how sneaky and conniving and greedy lawyers are. Um, So I've spent a bit of time explaining to him that you know, in my experience, and certainly I don't see my role as being sneaky and conniving and greedy. Um, I mean, my role, especially in family law, is to try and help people resolve disputes. Um, and, you know, we have all sorts of ethical duties and certainly I'm not out to, you know, have one over anyone um, or help my client have one over anyone. It's really just about resolving disputes in the best possible way and hopefully with the less least trauma, the least sort of unnecessary delay and so everyone can move on with their lives. I mean, I guess a lawyer's role is very different in 
every different area of law that you work in. But I think in in a general sense, a lawyer's role is to help people resolve disputes and to help their clients get the best outcome that they can expect in the context of the law. I'm just going to hang on to that line in the context of the law. And if we go back to trauma counsellor Jack Dalby, he brings up another issue about how the legal system is set up and how he's seen this impact people going through the family law process who are experiencing family violence. The way we conceptualise law makes people in that field think about individual incidents rather than patterns. And it makes people think about, well, can this behaviour be justified in some form? And if it can, then really nobody's at fault and there's no problem. It's very easy for um, perpetrators and, uh, unfortunately, their, their lawyers to say, no, 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 this was just a situation of conflict, both partners disagreed, both partners behaved badly, and so it was tit for tat and um, we don't have to take any of that seriously because now they're separated and it's not a problem. And I've got to tell you that separation is when a lot of the problems begin. Women do not stop being abused and dominated um, by their exes just because they're separated. There's a whole phenomenon um, now, and it's covered in a lot of detail in the literature, um, around uh, coercive control in the legal environment. So um, systems abuse, using courts, using the child support system, using the child protective system um, against victims to try to cost them financially, to punish them emotionally, just make their lives harder. Um, and we see a lot of that um, in terms of how some men are using the, the, the legal system. And that leads us to what we wanted to learn more about in our next episode. And that is what the very women who are experiencing family violence think about the way the law works and whether or not the processes around the legal system recognise their situation. We have recorded a specific episode on this with a group of women who wanted to tell you about their experiences. But until laws change in Tasmania, we can't tell that story in the way we think it needs to be told, so we won't be uploading that episode yet. But we've got a couple of other options for you. You can keep an eye out for season two of this podcast so that you can learn more about the different types of family violence. And importantly, you'll know how to recognise when it's happening and what you can do to support women to make sure that you're not a bystander. Or you can keep listening here because if, like me, you're just learning so much about the way the law is set up and what that can mean for women, we've got more to tell you. So do the lawyers, the support services and Natalie, Jane and Michelle. And the next episode, well, I was blown away by how interesting it was and really, really practical. We translate the legal jargon. But let's just breathe for a minute. One thing that's become clear over the last half hour is that going through the legal process can be exhausting. And one thing that pretty much everyone told me is to do whatever you can so you don't have to go through it alone. I would say to anyone, just wrap yourself up in as much support um, as you can. And if you have family or trusted people that can be there with you literally when you go to court. The other thing is just be prepared. It could be a very long haul and that you need to pace yourself. You need to pace yourself emotionally. You need to pace yourself financially. 
be prepared for the for the adversarial nature of it but wrap yourself up in as much emotional support as you can i'm penny terry and i'm learning with every new episode we record i hope you are too Just a reminder that there is a full list of contact details for family violence support and for individual legal advice in our show notes. This is a podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania.